We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Greetings, and welcome to Planet 8, my fellow galactic travelers. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base here on Planet 8. By my side, as always, is Chief Engineer Bob, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And visiting us today on Planet 8 is friend of the podcast, Butch Portillo. Butch has contributed to several DVD commentaries dealing with Ray Harryhausen and also is familiar with the overall dynamic of dynamation. As a matter of fact, Butch, I believe you've met Ray on a number of occasions, isn't that right? Uh, yes, I have. I've had the opportunity to meet Ray on several occasions uh, through the course of about, oh, about 20, 20, 25 years. That is awesome. Um, when you were visiting him, was, I mean, is this like at a convention or were you at like a, an exhibit or what? what, what well, the first time I met Ray was actually at the, the famous Monsters Convention, which uh, I think was around 1995, I think it was. Mm. And uh, like several fans going up uh, wanting to meet Ray, I, I went up and I was just like, you know, all scared I mean, to, to death, so to speak, you know, because this was, you know, my my idol and stuff. So I go up to Ray. And I just kind of, you know, hand my book to him and I says, you know, Ray, I says, I've been wanting to meet you for, you know, so and so, so many years. And, uh, and he goes, well, that's a mighty long time, <laughs> you know, with that beautiful voice of his. And, uh, so, um, but then the course of the, the time as, as time would go on, um, I uh, was invited, uh, to, uh, many events that Ray, uh, was the guest of. And, uh, this would either be conventions or just film, uh, uh, screenings and so on, and I met a lot of uh, people that were very close to Ray. Uh, Arnold Kunert was uh, one of them who uh, just passed away a, a few years ago, and Arnold uh, set up a lot of meetings with uh, with Ray with me, um, dinner time, kind of date kind of things. So I was able to meet Ray in the green room. So mm -hmm. um, you know, Ray actually, you know, actually he didn't know me, know me, but he knew who I was when he would see me, and right. uh, you know, it was a pleasure uh, meeting him. Um, let me kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Um, Bob, you and Butch have known each other for quite some time. Yeah, well, for many years, because we've both been on this planet. For many, <laughs> many years. Um, no, we actually, we've gone to a couple of Ray Harryhausen appearances. Uh, there's expressions in... Yeah, there was the Alameda yeah. show. Oh, not the Alameda show. Uh, it was Emeryville. the uh, Emeryville show. Yeah. yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a, a book signing. That uh, that took place, and then there's also the uh, one in or San Rafael, mm -hmm. the, the theater there. Ray would uh, frequent that quite a bit. They'd always have him come out. I think like once a year. Mm. Yeah. The one that really amazed me there was uh, it was like at the end of the whole. I think Dennis Murin was actually interviewing him mm -hmm. in that one, and at the end, 
Dennis Miriam was kind of wrapping up and Ray was like, wait, wait, I brought something with me. And everybody's like, you know, looking forward, you trying mean? to figure out what it was. And he took out this uh, suitcase and he had one of the flying saucers from Earth versus the Flying oh, Saucers. Wow. And he had one of the skeletons from Jason the Argonauts. Oh. And he put him up on this table and he was talking about him and how his father uh, helped him make the UFO on his lathe. He was like a machinist. And then uh, he basically reached over and just moved the head of the skeleton a little bit. And everybody cheered like it was some rock star, like in a <laughs> guitar solo or something, because it was like, here he is, he's doing his thing, he's right in front of us, he's moving that thing around. But that, and the amazing thing about Ray is just, he moved to England, where they speak, you know, the Queen's English. Right. And so he, he was very articulate. And when he spoke, he was very, it's almost like he, uh, he didn't talk fast, he talked rather slow. Like he was choosing his words and he would always choose the correct words and talk really eloquent about and descriptive about, you know, anything he was doing. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he was brought to the Bay Area quite a few times, though, right? Yes. Well, I know uh, we actually flew, or actually uh, uh, Karen flew down from the satellite to see one of the shows that you put on with Bay Area film events. Do you remember that uh, experience, Karen? Oh, yeah, that was great. That was when we saw... The documentary, that was the premiere, I think, in the U.S., right? That's yep. right. That's yep. right. Yeah, that was that was a great was, event. Uh, Ray Harry has a special effects titan. It was this primitive Earth technology called Skype, if I remember correctly, that was utilized in that show? Did you get the director or someone we to... We talked to Alexander Ponset on, uh, on Skype. That's right. That's and right. He, uh, talked about the documentary and that. But, yeah, I mean, we've done our very first show at Bay Area Film Events, back in 2004 was the Dynamation Celebration where we showed 20 Million Miles to Earth and uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and we had John Stanley who was a local Creature Features host is the host of it and we had Phil Tippett there and a panel of local effects experts and uh, it came off really well and we also did the uh, premiere of the documentary mm. and then we're doing a show coming up in March of this year uh, uh, what year is that, Bob? That would be 2019. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So March of this year. Basically, we're going to be showing three days of Ray's films, and we're going to be showing uh, pretty much almost every one. So we're in the process. You can check BayAreaFilmEvents.com for the full schedule. And uh, we're talking to some guests, and it looks like uh, we will most likely have Vanessa Harryhausen, Ray's daughter there. Wow. Nice. And uh, I don't see why we would not have people like Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett who have appeared at the past two shows mm -hmm. uh, as well as far as, you know, we're talking to a lot of effects people, you know, from ILM and from Pixar and that and from Tippett. So should be a really cool show. That'll be fun. Uh, the Dynamation Celebration. Butch, let me ask you, what was the first experience or first film of Ray's that you uh, saw? Uh, was it uh, in a theater? Was it on TV? Um, well, like most of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, there was uh, a plethora of, of, of Ray Harryhausen films that were played on cable. But I think if, if one film and one experience had to, had a big impact on me, was probably the reissue of The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And I think that was in 1978, I do mm -hmm. believe that they reissued it in the theaters. And to me personally, 
that was a huge deal because the print was was beautiful. Um, seeing uh, Ray's uh, dynamation techniques on the big screen for the first time, and the Cyclops coming out on the first uh, his first appearance on the beach, right. uh, it was amazing. And that it's interesting because you know seeing it on the big screen, it's it's so much different than seeing it on your TV, even with the the, the quality uh, television that we have in the Blu-rays. Um, I've never really been a fan of the Blu-ray print that they have at the 7th Voyage. It seems very grainy. So what I recall when I see in the 7th Voyage in, in 35 millimeter on the big screen, that was uh, that made a huge impact. I, I want to say I saw that uh, theatrical playing of the film. Uh, and I want to say it was at the Grand Lake Theater. But yeah, I remember as a kid, 10 years old, it was so dynamic. And, you know, the creatures looked... For those of you kids out there who don't know who Ray Harryhausen is, before there was CGI, before there was any inkling of computer uh, manipulation or creation of, of special effects or creatures in a film, there was Ray Harryhausen. There were no monsters in suits. It was Ray uh, articulating these creatures, skeletons, cyclops, dragons, uh, octopi, uh, frame by frame and filming them, stop motion animation style uh kind of like the original king kong and so yeah that seventh voyage of sinbad was my first introduction to ray's work uh, uh karen uh, what was your first uh ray harryhausen film well you know I w i've been trying to think about this because i know that i saw uh ray harryhausen's work on television first mm -hmm. but this the event that really stands out to me in my mind is seeing Golden Voyage of Sinbad at the uh, theater. Mm. And I saw that as a, a little kid, and I know looking it up, it says it was released in 73, but I know I saw it in 74. And I remember my cousins were visiting in spring or summer, and I begged and begged, they're all older than me, and I pleaded because <laughs> they could drive. I said, take me to the theater to see Golden Voyage of Sinbad. <laughs> Um, and they did, and they sat through it with me. Um, and I was mesmerized to see Harryhausen on the big screen, because I know I had seen him on TV, and I probably had seen Jason and the Argonauts by then, and probably Seventh Voyage. Um, but seeing Kali on the big screen and mm -hmm. seeing, uh, you know, all the, the uh, I think, the, the other creatures and so forth, just seeing that on a big screen. And back then it wasn't, we didn't have, in my small town, we didn't have, um, you know, the multiplex. We just had theaters, single theaters with big screens still then. Mm. Uh, that really imprinted on me and made a huge impact. So even though I, I know Golden Voyage is not necessarily like the best of his films, to me that that has a special place in my heart because that was the first one I saw on a on a, a big screen and it uh, was just beautiful. To, yeah. Even today, I'll, I'll pull that DVD out and look at it and just be awestruck. Very cool. Uh, Chief Engineer Bob. Well, for me, I mean, I always loved all the black and whites. Yeah. I loved going back to, uh, you know, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and 20 Million Miles to Earth, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. It came from beneath the sea. I mean, that was basically my Saturday afternoons because mm -hmm. I think uh, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, Channel 44, I believe, had most of those. Right. And so it would be like, uh, you know, the 
monstrous movie on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'd watch those. As far as the uh, Jasons and the Sinbads and that, I'm pretty sure those were most of those were on Creature Features. And uh, as far as theatrical, I would say from Golden Voyage on, I saw all those first release, you know, in you know, in the original runs in the theater. Um, obviously, I'm not old enough to have seen <laughs> <laughs> Seventh Voyage or uh, Jason the Argonauts first run, but yeah. uh, I have caught those, you know, in the theater since then. Will in Parkway uh, for he, Thrillville, they, he used to right. show quite a few of them. Yep. So uh, you know, if you hadn't seen them at an art house or something, I definitely caught them there. Yeah, that that is that is cool. Uh, let me ask. I'll, I'll put this out to all of you, but we'll start with Karen up in the satellite. Uh, the Ymir, uh, colorized version or black and white? Where do you side on that, uh, uh, Karen? It's interesting that you bring that up because that was one of the movies I watched in preparation for this episode, and I watched the colorized version. Oh. Um, well, normally I don't care for colorized films, but mm -hmm. I have to say they did a really nice job on those colorized Harryhausen movies. I think it's um, legendary, right? I know that the, even Ray uh, seemed to, to like them, yeah. and I know he worked with the uh, the producers of those films. Um, it's still colorized, so it's a little funky looking, but the Ymir looked great. And mm. I know that he, and, and Butch probably knows this better than I do, but uh, I believe that Ray had actually um, sculpted or created the Ymir in a greenish color. Um, so the green that they used in the film, I think, represented what he wanted it to look like, but I thought it looked great. Well, Ray actually supervised um, all the colorization on those prints that right. were wow. on, on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. So when Ray was in the, st in the studios during the editing process and, and everything else, he was actually there uh, tweaking the colors uh, with, uh, I think, she, uh, I don't recall her name, but it was, uh, it was a woman who uh, was uh, handpicked uh, to do all the colorization. And uh, Ray uh, was there uh, right with her and, you know, tweaking the knobs and telling her this a little bit more of this, a little bit more gray, a little bit more of that. So cool. Bob, where do you where do you land on that? I always land on the original on the black and white. <laughs> but, you know, I have seen the colorized 20 million miles to Earth. And I think I saw the colorized. Uh, they came from beneath the sea. And, yeah, I mean, they're not to the point where you wouldn't watch, you know, um, it basically, it looks fine. But again, you know, you want to kind of see it the way it was originally done. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was, that was in black and white. There you go. So, well, Let me ask you this, Butch, as far as like some of the models go, I mean, um, do you have any like um, skeletons or the, yeah, I mean, is there something that stands out to you that you were like, uh, what, the first film he worked on was Mighty, was it Mighty Joe Young? That was the official first film that he worked on. That's correct. With uh, okay. was Will O'Brien, he was uh, oh, Will O'Brien's assistant. But uh, as everyone knows, he did about eighty-five percent of the actual animation on that film. Hmm. That's that's cool. Uh, but as as far as like, yeah, is, uh, can you pick a favorite, or it's just you just love all of his work that he did? Well, there's there's quite a few things. I mean, I'm I getting back to Mighty Joe. I I think the the quality of animation. Uh, is probably uh, Ray's best. Um, if if you look at uh, the way, um, uh, in particular, if you look at the uh, the facial expressions on Joe, 
Um, if, if anybody knows anything about stop motion animation, it, you know, it's not just about moving the model. Anybody can move it. It's, it's bringing it to life. And that is a very difficult thing for, for animators to, to be able to uh, do. So mm-hmm. if you look at the way the facial expressions and moving the model and, and the way Ray was able to breathe life into Joe, and one in particular sequences where uh, uh, Joe makes an appearance and they're having this little talk, uh, Joe Young is having a talk and with, uh, with the guys about, you know, if I'm going to come to L.A. And Joe ends up showing up. And if you watch the, the expression on his face, when he notices that uh, you know the bad guys are sort of sort of here, and he might they might be a threat to Jill. If you look at the ex- the expressions on the model's face, you're just you're in awe because it's like wow, you know Ray was able to put all that emotion into this uh, incredible uh, puppet. That that's true. That's a good point. And and you know that figure, it's not like they had a separate head that was like life size or close to life size that they'd animate the expressions. It was all that one model. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. And that was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, that particular um, uh, Joe puppet uh, was named Jennifer. Uh, <laughs> that was Ray's favorite. <laughs> that's cool. Um, let me ask you this. As far as building out those models, uh, those figures, those um, points of articulation. Things that I've read is that he did most of that stuff. Either his father helped him, or he uh, made himself in his oven in his kitchen. Uh, can you speak to that? I mean, is that, that in most accurate? in most cases? I mean, Fred, his father Fred um, passed away. I think in, in 1973. In most cases, uh, his father built most of his stop motion animation uh, puppets through uh, his armatures. However. Uh, for Joe, um, I think that had a lot to do with uh, Marcel Delgado and the, the RKO crew. Um, they were basically in charge of uh, producing those armatures. But everything else in Ray's career up until the time that Fred passed away uh, was done uh, by Fred. And uh, with Ray's help, Ray would design the actual uh, puppets and the armatures, and, uh, and Fred would, uh, would make them uh, with his lathe at his home. That's interesting. You don't really see anything like that anymore. All the effects houses in Hollywood have changed over to mostly digital. There's not a lot of practical. Well, that's the thing with Ray in, in his career, in early, especially early in his career. His his family, it was a family affair. His mother would make a lot of the clothes and stuff that he would do, the puppets, especially when Ray was doing his own fairy tales. She mm, would make a lot yeah. of the, uh, the clothes and the puppets and and uh, Fred would uh, help uh, Ray build a lot of the sets. And, you know, so, you know, I mean, th- this guy, you know, he was just born to do it. I mean, 13 years old, you see this amazing film called King Kong. And the next thing you know, you're out in your garage and you're doing it. That's true. Well, you brought you brought up the fairy tales. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about the fairy tales and also his work with George Powell? Sure. On the puppetoons. That was actually one of his first professional gigs was working on the puppetoons. Uh, so when that came out before, like Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms, that was that released theatrically, or how how exactly did that come about? Uh, yeah, I, I do believe so. They were like they were short puppetoon uh, shorts that were put out. Um, I would assume I I'm not too sure, but I would assume they probably. Put them out that like most shorts that came that would uh, go with a lot of films, like Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah, before, I, would, uh, I would. Yeah, I would assume so. Um, uh, the thing is, is that I I do believe that uh, Will O'Brien also worked on a few of those shorts, um, 
But I know that Ray wasn't all that happy about working on the Pupper Tunes that much because he wasn't really into the uh, the replacement head techniques. You know, that mm-hmm. wasn't what Ray, um, he wasn't really into it. I mean, he took the job. I mean, it was, you know, something that he got his uh, teething on and worked on, but he wasn't all that, uh, he didn't fancy it too much. I see. Hey, Karen, did you ever uh, have a chance to watch any of those shorts? No, I, I can't say that I have, actually. I don't know that they're on DVD. I've, I've seen stills of the, I want to say it's right. the tortoise and the hare and, and stuff like that, but... Um, be curious to see if they're on YouTube or something like that. I've never. Uh... I think the Blu-ray for the Puppetoon movie, I think, is out. And there's, I think, oh. there's quite a few of the uh, shorts that are, are available. Um, they're really fascinating. Uh, I mean, uh, if you, if you watch a lot of the the techniques, they're just you know that stuff is just not done anymore right, <laughs> you know, right. in that kind of a fashion. And uh, and the uh, the film stocks, you know, the beautiful color film stocks, you know, it's, it's really amazing. Have you seen any of them, Bob? I've seen some, and there was a DVD out of, uh, well, it was mostly his fairy tales, right? And then there was some. That's correct. Was there any puppetoons on that or no? Oh, uh, no, not on that. I mean, those are just separate. Those are, there's George Powell's yeah. stuff, and then and then there's uh, Ray's fairy tales. Right. And then Ray also did, was it an unused uh, bit of animation for War of the Worlds for That, George that was Powell, something that, that was a big passion of Ray's. But uh, when when Ray was in the uh, in, uh, in during World War II, um, mm-hmm. Ray was in the in the Signal Corps, and uh, he basically saved uh, or just there was just like a bunch of uh, stock film that he basically said, "Well, it's all scrap film. I'm just going to save it," and that's what he used for his fairy tales. Oh, interesting. And let me ask you uh, this. I mean. Um what was the transition? Because initially the early films that Ray Harryhausen did were, uh, you know, dragons or octopus or the Ymir uh, invaders going to Washington, D.C. What was it that led him to do the Sinbad films and Jason and the Argonauts and got more into like mythology, mythological creatures and such? Do you know? Well, I think, you know, I think let's first first off, I'd like to say that, you know, Ray, um, when he did his uh, his black and white films, you know he was very apprehensive about going into color. But Charles Chenier, who was the producer, and I, and I also like to say that it, Charles Chenier had a lot to do with the success of Ray's career. Mm. Because if it wasn't for Charles, who knows where Ray would have ended up as far as his career is is concerned, and the longevity of his career. Because um, as most know, you know, you need a good producer to back you up. And Charles was definitely Ray's. I mean, I think Charles produced all of Ray's films except for one or actually two. That was the first film, The Beast from 20,000 Phantoms mm-hmm. and The uh, One Million Years B.C. Uh, done by Hammer. But up all those other films that Ray had done, uh, Charles was was behind him. So getting back to your question, uh, like I said, Ray was a little apprehensive about going into color, but but. You know, they had this story that they wanted to do. And Charles said, look, you know, you got to do this in color. We can't do this in black and white. This is going to be an epic film. And so Ray ended up doing tests and tests and tests until he felt he was comfortable enough to pull it off. And that's how the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad came. And that's how that came about. So is there a difference between dynamation and super dynamation? 
No, that was just basically that's something that that Charles and Ray just came up with. It was just sort of like, you know, there was Dynamation 90, I think it was. And, and, you know, they just kept on every, you know, every time they would come out with the home, it was something just to pull in the audience. So it was marketing. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. But the techniques, you know, itself, you know, I think what ended up happening is that Ray would come up with a, a new technique to add to the old technique. I mean, the Dynamation process basically started with the Beast from 20,000 Phantoms. And I can go on and on and when it comes to the details, I don't want to bore you with this, but basically it's a split screen technique that you basically photograph the model in front of a rear screen projection and in glass. And what you do is you mask off each area of the glass and then you photograph the model with the glass masked off. And then what you do is you rewind the film and then you mask off an area that was photographed, mask that off, and then you photograph again. And basically it's a sandwich technique and then when you when you project it through the projector, the model is sandwiched in between the, uh, the foreground and the background, and it's all seamless together. Wow. It's so painstaking. Well, Ray came up with that technique based on the fact is that when he worked on Mighty Joe Young, which was a, a union film, it went way over budget. And Ray said, look, if I'm going to survive in this business, i got to come up with something that I, I don't have to rely on uh, glass paintings. I don't have to rely on miniature sets. I just want to be able to drop my model in a setting and, and have the, the, uh, the background with real plates of film, people moving, cars moving, and so on, and, and, and also uh, people moving in front. Also, real people, not just puppets, because that was, if you watch Mighty Joe Young really carefully, you'll notice that a lot of times when uh, a model is supposed to be a represented as a person is actually a puppet. So Ray came up with the technique to basically you throw your model into real settings and, and it was done cheaply that way. Well, he, he was a real innovator. Oh, absolutely. And it's a shame that it took uh, until I think 1992 for the Academy to uh, actually give him an Academy Award. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it strikes me other, other than Willis O'Brien, who's, you know, King Kong, there was never really anyone else like Ray Harryhausen in the industry uh, w- with that kind of a rapport or a, a talent. Yeah, it, it, you know, like I said, stop motion animation is a very specialized field. And like I said, there's not too many people at that time that were able to uh, perform this task. But again, going back to Charles, you, you need a producer that had faith in you and was able to push those projects. And, uh, and Charles uh, definitely uh, was there for Ray. Well, let me, I'll, I'll put this out to all of you guys from Guanji to uh, uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, all of his work. Uh, what is your top one, two or three creature moments where you were just awed and it, it still kind of strikes you uh, today? For me, it's always going to be Medusa. Uh, the all the little snakes on her head moving and the sound and the setting and her facial expression and and all of that I you know I, I love all of his work I, I you know a close second to me would be the skeletons and Jason and the Argonauts uh, a lot of it is the music and the sound effects that works for me in films as well and and very much so uh, in these works that Ray was involved in um, Karen g- give me one or two uh, creatures that just really stick with you as, as a Harryhausen classic? 
Oh, well. Um, Putting you on the spot, I, already, I know. <laughs> I already mentioned uh, Kali, so that's that's a big favorite. Mm. Um, but then my top two would come from Jason. Um, and so I think uh, number two would be Talos. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Just uh, impressive, the, the size and the things that um, Ray did with him. Uh, you know, threatening the the Argonauts. That was, and again, like Butch said, the expression that he got in that metal face, the the agony mm. that he underwent when Jason unscrewed his heel and his life force is like flowing out. It was like, and he's choking, sort of. He's like grabbing at his throat. It's like, it's just amazing. You know, how did he get that expression into the face? And you actually right. feel kind of bad for this this creature. And then uh, number one, it goes back to the skeleton warriors, right? Mm -hmm. You look at that and you're like, how, how did this man choreograph that? Oh my God, it's right. unbelievable. You know, the complexities of that is just uh, mind boggling. And I think we ha also have to talk a little bit about, and we don't have to do it at, right at this moment, but you're talking about the music, uh, Bernard Herrmann and, and the scores right. to some of yes. these movies just work perfectly it's sort of like the john williams comparison with star wars or what mm -hmm. have you um it just it's another perfect element that flows right into ray's work i think uh, a match made in heaven but True. those those would be my top three bob well um one would definitely i think be the ending of 20 million miles to earth when the emir is atop the coliseum yeah. being mm -hmm. shot at and his whole kind of death scene there. Um, that's definitely a favorite, uh, just for the drama that that Ray put into it. Right, because you feel for the creature at that moment, right? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. like... didn't ask to be subjected to and, us. You know, similar to like Kong on the Empire State Building and <clears throat> right. you know, the right. emotions that he showed on his death. But also, um, this as a monster fan, I think the, the whole battle between the dragon and the Cyclops and Seven Voids of Sinbad yeah, was also mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorites. Cool. And Butch? Oh, uh, all right. I only get we three. We didn't leave uh, any for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, he, can, he can duplicate. <laughs> I, I would, uh, well, it's, there's so many. But I'll, I'll, I would say, I would say um, number three on that list uh, would definitely be uh, the first appearance of the Cyclops in the uh, seventh voyage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the low angle shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have the low angle, you know, the guys are on the beach and next thing you know, the Cyclops is coming out of the uh, uh, the cave and, and it's just this beautiful, in the background, all you see is a cave and this beautiful blue sky and, and, and the growling Cyclops coming at you and, you know, I mean, if you speak to a lot of effects artists, uh, the Dennis Murins and the Phil Tippetts, they'll, they'll tell you right front that that was probably one of the scenes that actually got them into the business. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. We'll go with number two. I would say the uh, when the Emer first appears mm. from the egg, uh, mm. the gelatin sort of egg, and he comes out, and he's mm. basically being born, and he wipes his eyes, and he's looking around, and then when the light comes on, you know, he's he's looking around, he's kind of confused, and and I enjoy that part uh, of of the film because uh, just the uh, the complexity of it. And the emotion that the creature is like, well, I'm born now, and where am I at? And, and I, re I really like that part. And let's see, number one. Okay, 
this is probably easy for me. And when it comes to um, Ray's work, um, I'm going to go back to Mighty Joe. And mm. one of my favorite sequences in the film is the end. And that is the, uh, the fire sequence where Joe is going up and down the tree trying to save the orphans in the orphanage. Uh, which uh, was uh, shot uh, not only in black and white, but it was also in like a, a sepian tone, I think they called it at the time. It's kind of like a color kind of filter, whatever that is. Um, the emotions that uh, that Mighty Joe, uh, the facial expressions, and, and just the whole animation uh, sequence is uh, pretty amazing. So that's my, that's my number one. Cool. Uh, let me ask you guys this now with, with Ray's technique and and just how good he was. How well do you think he would have done using Dynamation in a film like Godzilla or Creature from the Black Lagoon where we had people in suits portraying the <laughs> monsters or the creatures? Do you think it would have changed it, made it better, would have been interesting, or just leave leave the man in the suit as it is? Uh, let's start off with Butch. Oh, wow. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> as as most know, Ray was not a real big fan of the the suit acting techniques. Uh, I always kind of cringed a little bit every time Ray would kind of joke about it. Um, um, I, I I personally think that uh, Ray um, would have been o- okay with certain things, but I just feel that you know he would he would have just you know did it his way and you know. I don't know. It's 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 a weird question to ask because you know I, I I've heard Ray many times. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't. He just wasn't a fan of the the technique. So, but uh, um, there, there's a you know the 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 giant monster, the man in the suit has its own. Kind I of, I love the stuff. Yeah. I, I, I you mean, know, it's its own art form. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, it's. The thing is, is that, you know, I, there, there was many times where I, I, I heard that, that many people wanted to hire Ray outside of, of Charles and, and Columbia pictures where he would work. And, and obviously um, that just didn't happen. But um, I think that uh, if um, Ray didn't mind mixing things, I mean, I, I remember later on during his career, especially during uh, the um, uh, was it um, Clash of the Titans time where he actually had to uh, hire Jim Danforth and uh, Steve Archer to help do some stop motion animation because it was so overwhelming for him. So you had three mm-hmm. animators, and uh, you know Jim Danforth, as we all know, is a, is a legend, you know, in himself too. Mm-hmm. And his animation techniques, especially in when dinosaurs ruled the earth, is some of the finest stop motion animation ever committed to film. Um, so you know, I, I think that you know, I remember reading one time back uh, in the late seventies that. You know, well, you know, they're going to, you know, computers are going to take over and, and so on. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, huh, what? How is computers going to take over stop motion animation? <laughs> you know, so but it, you know, actually, that's what CGI is and that's what's taken over. And, and Ray considered, you know, his techniques a tool. Um, I always wanted to ask Ray uh, how he felt about um, if there was another way that he could do it, if he would do it. And I don't think many people actually asked him that. I always wanted to ask him that question. You know, if it wasn't stop motion, what, what else would you have done? Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of going back to your question, um, and this is kind of a roundabout way to answer it, but I was at the uh, Computer History Museum 
for a talk by Brad Bird one time. Brad oh. Bird, who did Iron Giant, The Incredibles, etc. And somebody asked him, you know, do you prefer cell animation or CGI? And he said, to him, it didn't matter. It basically, he says, you come up with a story, you come up with your characters, you come up with a concept, and then you choose whatever medium you think best portrays that, whether it's cell, CGI, live action, etc. And I think with, uh, you know, you brought up Creature from the Black Lagoon and Godzilla and all that, which are also very close to my heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, each, each character, each monster has its own personality. I think a lot of the personality has to do with the techniques that they were brought to life with. So would I want to see Creature from the Black Lagoon or Godzilla animated? Not necessarily. Although some animation was used in a couple of Godzilla films. Yep. And, uh, you know, CGI is being used more and more now. So there's different ways to bring these creatures to life. But as far as their original concepts, uh, I would kind of stick to the way they were. Yeah, leave them as is. How about you, Karen? I don't know that I have a whole lot to add to that. I kind of think that, um, like you guys are saying, the, the men in suits have their own special charm. Um, I don't know that I could envision a more perfect creature than we already have. Although, now that you brought it up, I kind of want to see a stop-motion creature. Um I think that would be pretty pretty amusing to see a stop motion creature, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I don't know that I want to go that direction. Okay. Well, All even right. to even to flip the tables, it's like you would not want to see the Cyclops or Emir or any of those as a man in a suit. No. Yeah, you'd want to keep those again pure the way that they were, you know, which was stop motion. A yeah. lot of it had to do budgetary. It was a budgetary decision a lot of times. It's just easier um, for a lot of films, especially low-budget films, to stick a man in a suit, mm. you know, walking around than, than try to hire a person who was an animator back then. And there just wasn't many people that were proficient in stop-motion animation to do that type of work. You know, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they wanted to do uh, the original Godzilla in stop motion. Didn't Tsuburaya oh, yeah. want well, to yeah, do it? Yeah, Tsuburaya was very, very, very much influenced I mean, by huge King Kong fan. King Kong, his own print, and <laughs> Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Right. So he wanted to do that, but the budget and the time restraints he was given for the original Godzilla, mm -hmm. there was no way. Now that think he about could that. Do that in time. Or under budget, so he had to go with a man in a suit. Now think well, about that. Ask that question. Yeah. Would you have rather have had Godzilla, the original, uh -huh. you know, done in stop motion or the way it is done in the film now? No, the original Godzilla, you could probably pull off stop motion because it was him, you know, lumbering over cities, destroying buildings, etc. But when you got to the later films where it's like tag team wrestling and that, yeah, man in suit is probably the way to go. But if you're if you're talking about the original, only the original Godzilla, then yes, you you could pull that off in stop motion. Which, like I say, Eiji Tsuburai wanted to, but you know you only have so much money and so much time, and sometimes that's not going to allow you to do what you want. You know, this whole thing kind of makes me think about one of the. One of Harry Housen's movies that seems like a bit of an oddball, which was um, One Million Years B.C., 
not only because it's a Hammer film, um, but because I believe, isn't there uh, some footage in that where they used an actual lizard? Uh, That's correct. Before before they start the stop motion, yeah. Yeah, that was heavily criticized too back then. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, Ray uh, used a, a lizard. It was actually a, a good lizard too. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the Irwin Allen type lizards with the with the yeah. fins glued on and. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the the uh, was it uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth? Uh, that's probably the finest example of uh, lizards, uh, the Metrodon type lizard that you'll ever see in a film. Uh-huh. It worked. <laughs> True. Well, I'm sure he wasn't happy about the inclusion of um, an actual lizard rather than just doing it all stop motion. Yeah, well, from what I understand, um, it was just one of those type of situations where, you know, they just had to have something live there, I think, for the public to ch- kind of like buy what was going on. But um, but it worked. It worked for the film. Well, going back to like Clash of the Titans, um, I, the, the one character, the devil type character, I can't remember what the name was. Calibos? Calibos? Oh, yeah, Calibos. Yeah. yeah. He was combination of actor and stop motion. Yes, he was. Yeah. And then in uh, was it I the Tiger? Did they? Peter Mayhew, who was the uh, the, the Minotaur, statue, the Minotaur, the Minotaur? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. Used suit and that. But kind of gets back to what Brad Bird said. Whatever tells the story. Well, pick your medium. Yeah. yeah. Pick your yeah. technique. Mm-hmm. What's what's easy to to use and budgetary? That's all. It's what it was about back in those days. Now people just write checks and say, okay, no problem. I'll spend $200, million, But if you look at most of race films, most of the budgets were just, what, in the 200,000s, 300,000 areas. And they made over a million. They, you know, I mean, a lot of these films were popular, but they really didn't make a ton of money. Um, I think the, the uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad was probably one of the most profitable films that Ray ever made. I mean, you look at a movie like Guanji, it died at the box office. But that's a brilliant film i mean it, it's tons of animation is in that film but yeah. unfortunately it was just kind of like pushed under the sh- shelf a little bit it was it was shown briefly and just went away it was double billed with with garbage films ah, that's too bad it, it is a good film i mean really the thing that amazes me is you'll sit there today and you'll watch all these credits roll by and you'll see something like let's say infinity war or something where there's like a dozen different companies and each one has 50, 60 people or more that worked on, you know, every little bit of the film and these credits just go by and go by and go by. And back then it was special effects by Ray Harryhausen. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. That's true. So it's, you know. This effects house animated the right hand. (laughs) (laughs) This one did the left hand. (laughs) This one made Thanos' finger snap and that was Yeah, that's always funny when you always ask people, they say, have you seen that Ray Harryhausen movie? You know, they, you don't hear about the director. You don't hear about anything else. It's always Ray's films. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. We're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast here. Um, as far as, uh, you know, nobody does what Ray uh, did anymore. Almost everything's CGI now. There, there are some exceptions here and there. Uh same with the Godzilla films. I mean, that new movie that's coming out in 2019, I think it's all CGI, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, do, do you guys think that there's something 
lost in films like Jurassic Park that are using CGI dinosaurs or the new Godzilla that aren't using men in suits, you know? Or uh, is it just a natural progression of, of the medium of film? Uh, let's start with Karen. I knew you were going to start with me. Um, <laughs> Sticking it to you, Karen. <laughs> man, and he's supposed to be my friend. Um, There's no friends in podcasts. I, 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 <laughs> I know how to get the best answers out of you. Put that pressure on you, Walker. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, if I speak with my heart. Yes. <laughs> Please do so. With the heart. If I speak with my heart, then I do kind of feel like there's something lost. I, I kind of miss the uh, the stop motion, you know. And it's it's sentimental because that's what I grew up with. Sure. Now, on the other hand, though, when CGI is done right, it can be fantastic. It can, it can you know, take your breath away. I think the problem is we see a lot of really crappy CGI out there. Yeah. Um, so it is sort of a natural progression, um, but we will always have raised films and I'll always sit and watch them. So hmm. that's kind of my hedging my bet answer for you. Very good. See, I knew I could get a good answer out of you. Bob. Answering a question without answering a question. Um, <laughs> well, the thing about raised films and the, the whole thing about stop motion and that is it, it, it lent an air of fantasy to them. That was like a whole world sort of that was the atmosphere you know and you could and, and it basically took you to a fantasy land whereas CGI tries to be as realistic as possible and keep you right there you know in the real world with everything and uh, you know as a kid growing up I mean I loved going to that fantasy land and going and seeing these you know creatures come to life and uh, yeah I mean CG you know it's almost like you know, back back in the old days, when you're watching movies, it's like the first thing you ask is, how did they do that? Mm -hmm. Well, now the answer is, well, they sat behind a computer and clicked on some keys. But back then, it's like, okay, how did they do that? Is that a guy in a suit? Is that stop motion? You know, was that saucer on a wire and they blew it up? Or, mm -hmm. you know, how did this thing actually right. get made? And that's what gave birth to all, like, famous monsters and everything else. Because Forey Ackerman and whoever would tell you, right. you know. Here's how these things were done, and uh, that was a whole that was a whole part of the fun. Is trying to figure out how these films were made, and I think that's something today that it's really not. You don't have that. Let me look. Let me research this and see how they did this, or find out how they I, I think pulled this people, off. You know? Some people do because I, I mean I never had a, a 15 millimeter that I could do my own little animation. Some people right. would do that their own stop motion, but these kids are going on the computers and doing amazing things. I mean, the, the evolution of YouTube and stuff. Right, but they have a way of, they know the way to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, they use this program or this computer or whatever. It's not like these kids are sitting in their garage and trying to rig up models to explode or you know, <laughs> time how many movements per second they have to do of this model to make it go. Or, or make the model. So. Or make the model yeah, or whatever. You know, there, was this, there was so much that had to be innovated and created and invented back then, that now it's like, you know, sit you behind this computer and you know, yeah, there's the program, do it. Download it. So. Butch? Oh, well, you left me with the last part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's, I, I mean, I enjoy um, CGI, I, I really do. If it's done right, uh, I enjoy it. Um, 
I just have a love for the the old techniques, uh, and that's not just not only stop motion animation, but you know the suits and and the right. props and and everything. You know, so it, it was just a different era. We grew up in those times, so we have a very uh, huge sentimentality toward that and those techniques. Will those things work now? Sure, a lot do. We still have um, was the Shape of Water? Is it? I mean, you right. know, huh? we still have those techniques working for modern films. Um, can a, a stop motion animation, a full feature be made today with a monster? Doubt it. Um, it's, it's, I don't think it will ever happen. And I don't think there's a lot of people who uh, have the, uh, the expertise to do so. So I, I would just, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a tech guy when it comes to the love of stop motion. I love the way the old guys do the techniques, how they build the models, how they build the sets how they were able to uh, convince us that this little, you know, 12-inch puppet, no. you know, can be, breathe life and, and show you that it can move and, and it can terrorize your heart. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, those techniques just, uh, unless they're on a smaller scale, um, they won't work today. So I think uh, CGI, until something else comes along and, and beats CGI, um, I, I think just the progression of time, we just have to accept the techniques that we have. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, I think, you know, stop motion these days is pretty much relegated to like Nightmare Before Christmas or Isle of Dogs right. or, uh, you know, any Very other specialized. number of... Yeah. Very specialized films. But it's almost like, I don't want to say kids films, but, you know, basically a step above cartoons type no, of thing. It's you know. not like Dynamation and Seventh Voyage Right. Sinbad. Well, they're not trying to pull off something that looks realistic. No. Or, you know, try to look realistic. It's more like this is a fantasy world and this is the way we're bringing it to you. You know, I, I watched Isle of Dogs recently and it's it's a pretty amazing, you know. And again, it's all stop motion. But, but of course, with all those films that are stop motion, they're also enhanced somewhat with CGI. So. Well, a lot of yeah. the techniques that they use today, they you know, they have a lot of computers that they can, you know, frame grab their animation and make it smoother. You know, Ray and 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 uh, those guys were had they were subject to uh, um, to nothing like that. They didn't have any video units that they can see their animation. They had basically had to do the stop motion, send it off to the lab, and say, "Okay, let's see how it came out." Oh, whoop, oh, oh, there's a you know there's a there's a pliers there. There you know there's there's something you know wrong here. You know, I missed a frame or the telephone rang or whatever. Let me let me ask you this. I forgot, Butch. Do you know how many hours? Or days it would take Ray to animate like a minute of film. Well, twenty-four frames per second. You know, I mean, it. I don't know. I mean, it, you, you, the thing about it is, is though it took Ray years to make these films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, he was working alone. So I mean, I mean, if you look at the time period uh, of his films, it would take up to two to three years just to complete the animation. He, like I said, he was doing it all on himself. I mean, uh, the animation sequence for like the the uh, Jason Yargonov skeleton sequence that took like three to four months. Wow! And that was just one <laughs> sequence for that film, you know. And and to this day, it's it, when you watch that sequence, you're in awe, and you're like, how can all these skeletons be moving? fighting all the men, you know, sequentially like that. And it's incredible. So it's like, this was before they had cell phones. Imagine someone calling him and just like, um, all right. Was it the left skeleton or the right skeleton? I was animating, trying to keep yeah. track oh, yeah. of. He, he actually talked about that in one of his appearances. <coughs> he would say that 
he'd be animating like the seven-headed hydra, and he'd have to remember. Yeah, the hydra. You know, wow. this head's going forward, this head's going back, this mouth Jeez. is opening, this one's closing, this one's turning to the right, and then the phone would ring. And he was also talking about, and I never even thought about this until he, he mentioned it, is lighting the sets. Right. Oh, that's And it's like, like the skeletons, you know. This is like a, well, like a five-minute sequence, and it took him three months or whatever. Well, as you're animating, that light bulb that's on the set is getting dimmer. And you don't, you can't see it physically getting dimmer. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, you know, look back at the film, suddenly everything's getting dimmer. So he would have to change those lights out like every single day just to keep it all at the same level. Yeah, that was a big problem for Ray. Ray Ray had a, it was very challenging for him to keep the, the light balances in the film and the color changes that would happen. Uh, um, Guanji is a, a perfect example mm. of uh, Ray having uh, issues with, with color balances. Interesting. Well, overall, this has been a very interesting uh, discussion and podcast. Uh, we want to thank you very much, Butch, for coming out and visiting Planet 8. My pleasure. Uh, sharing uh, the information with us. This brings us to our sensor suite portion of the podcast. going to turn it over to Chief Engineer Bob to talk a little about future show coming to the area well as i mentioned earlier we do have a ray harryhausen show what a coincidence (laughs) (laughs) coming up march 1st through the 3rd at the balboa theater in san francisco and we're going to be showing basically pretty much all of ray's films nice over the three day course of three days as well as the uh, documentary ray harryhausen special effects titan and we'll probably throw in a few odds and ends, puppetoons or fairy tales and whatever scraps and bits and pieces we can find. And uh, we're definitely going to have uh, some local special effects people uh, involved. Uh, Hopefully, people like uh, Dennis Murin or Phil Tippett. Uh, Also, our uh, main guest for the weekend will be Vanessa Harryhausen, daughter of Ray Harryhausen. Wow. So uh, that that should hopefully be a whole lot of fun. So you can go to uh, BayAreaFilmEvents.com for more information. You can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BayAreaFilmEvents. And there is an event page for the uh, Ray Harryhausen show, which we are calling the Dynamation Celebration after our very first show 15 years ago. <laughs> so it's like our anniversary and our redo of the Dynamation Celebration. And it's all going to come together on March 1st through 3rd, 2019 at the historic Balboa Theater in San Francisco. That sounds great. Hope to see some of you listeners out there. This brings us to the end of our podcast. And on that note, we're going to conclude this transmission of Planet 8. I'd like to thank all of you intergalactic listeners each and every episode for tuning in and be sure to head on over to our website at www.planetatepodcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. You can also join the conversation. Find us on Twitter at Planetatecast or on Facebook at facebook.com Podcast. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8. Signing off. End transmission. I've uh, had a great uh, success and uh, practically 
I would say 90% of everything I wanted to do, I did. I'm told the stars of my films were uh, my creatures because uh, most of them received the best write-ups.